Now, we find ourselves at the start of a new sermon series this morning. And this one's a little bit different. This is one that we talked about a couple weeks back where it's, it's called Pastor 411. And we had asked people from the congregation to send in different, uh, different questions, uh, areas of curiosity, some passages of scripture perhaps that you weren't quite sure of, points of theology. Um, maybe some situations you're encountering in the world and you weren't sure how to, how to respond to them or how to understand those types of things. So we've received a lot of those from you all. And uh, over the next couple weeks, uh, the pastors here, myself, Ryan, and Luke, are going to uh, walk through some of these things. Now, we, had, we received so many fantastic questions. Some of them were of the nature we would need like an entire sermon series to cover the breadth of the question. So we weren't able to hit those head on. Uh, but we tried to, in, in selecting the questions for the next couple weeks, we tried to do it in a way that we can touch on pretty much everything that was submitted. So we have a couple we're going to walk through each week, sort of um, three to five questions per week we're going to try and hit. And these are things that people had, had sent in to us. And um, so, Ryan, good to have you <laughs> up here with us. Yeah, woo, there we go. Uh, you know, it, one other thing we have an opportunity to do right now is, is take a minute and just, just maybe, hear, how are you doing, Ryan? Like, we don't often get a chance to do personal updates, so maybe can you take like, just two minutes and yeah, just tell us sure. how you're doing, something new that's going on in life and ministry for you? So I am good. Um, things have been going well. Uh, the youth, it's really awesome to see you guys up here. That's so cool. Um, mm. I know some more of you have talents, so I will find out your talents. Um, but personally, <laughs> things are going well. Um, one of the things I'm really excited about right now um, is I'm actually playing on a hockey team, like, competitively for the first time in eight years. Wow. Um, so someone was like, at youth this week, was actually like, are you 40? Someone asked me that. <laughs> And that actually, that's old, right? Yeah, well, that's, well, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was a tough pill to swallow. So eight years ago, he's like, well, you played when you were like 32? No, no, I was 18 at the time. So I'm 26 now. So that's exciting for me with different health stuff. And uh, yeah. even this week, I, uh, I don't know. Something happened. There we go. Nice. Something happened in my back. So I was walking around like the leading tower of Pisa around the office. And so I got some more age jokes. Got yeah. a bunch of gray hair, but I am excited to play hockey. So you mentioned the bunny costume. Yes. And if those of you who maybe were here and saw uh, an Easter bunny walk around, that was Ryan in, uh, in disguise. Now, Ryan did a fantastic job. We've seen him work with the youth before, but I haven't seen him work with, with the younger ones, especially the really little ones before. Yeah. And, and for a couple of hours, probably, probably over three hours. Too many hours. Were, yeah. yeah, you were bending down and taking pictures and high-fiving them, having a good time with them. And it made me wonder, Ryan, it, it made me curious, since you're so good with little children, if, if you were maybe going to help the effort and, uh, and help us to grow the church. Well... <laughs> Or maybe not. I don't know. Oh, no, maybe. We'll see. Tiana's trying to get me off the Xbox, so, uh, yeah. Well, we'll see. <laughs> oh, she's turning red. This is yeah. good. Uh, nice. All right. No pressure. No pressure. <laughs> so how about you? How have things been going for you? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I've done my part. Yes. <laughs> yep. I've done my part, so. Shout out, Josh. Yeah. Yeah, there's the youngest. <laughs> Yeah, um, well, yeah, what's new for us? You know, the newest thing really quickly for us, uh, probably just give a quick update on kind of our housing situation since people knew in the past we had listed our house and are trying to still move to the West End here, but are, currently we're still living in, in Southside in Mill Woods there. Uh, short version of the story. So we listed our house back in the spring, almost a year ago actually now. Uh, we have received four offers over that time, 
while it was listed. Uh, the problem we ran into, though, is we received the first offer pretty quickly. Uh, and within, like, two days of the offer coming in, we got a notice from our condo board that they're levying a special assessment against the, the units. Uh, and that special assessment was estimated to be $40,000, which scares off all buyers <laughs> that are of interest. So long story short, uh, we, we took it off the market because that assessment was finalized at just under $18,000. Um, that check just cleared the bank yesterday or on Friday. So that was fun. Um, uh, so now we're at this point where we, we're still south side, still in the place. We just paid what amounts to $18,000 for some upgrades that are going to be done. And I, I think it makes sense to wait until those renovations are completed so we can raise our price to recoup some of that that we've just had to pay out. Uh, in addition to that, Josh is heading into grade 12 here pretty soon, and we weren't too sure about uprooting him in his final year of high school to come out here. So, you know, at this point, that's kind of where we're at. I think we're going to just keep making the commute for another year and then and see where, where things go from there. So that's, that's kind of what's new with, with us right now, but we're, uh, we're used to the drive. Yeah. It's a long one, but we're used to the drive. So. Yeah, fair enough. So, well, I'm really excited about this. Um, some of these questions are really helpful, really great. So why don't we jump right into our first question? Yeah, okay. You know, one of the, um, um, yeah, questions that came in, I thought was something that was of uh, interest to you. Yeah, well, this is awesome. Like, after Easter, um, this is a lot of, like, I, I heard so many answers to this question growing up, but where did Jesus go between his death and resurrection? After Easter, yeah. that's a really good question that a lot of people just don't know the answer to. Yeah, it was a curious one that came, I don't know if anyone here has ever thought about that question before, or maybe this is the first time, actually, like, hey, yeah, that's a good question, where did he go, you know? died and then three days passed the resurrection what, what happened in the in the gap there uh, a valid question it is a problematic question to some degree as well though in part because there's a lot of confusion around it but also there's not really a lot of very clear scriptural passages that help us understand what took place here but we can we can kind of piece some things together we can do some detective work by looking at some different pieces of scripture that do allude to this and try and piece together an idea of what of what took place. So I'm going to walk through a couple of those passages, passages for us. Uh, keep in mind that this is trying to piece it together. There is not really a clear statement as to what exactly um, happened during those three days. But one of the best passages, one of the most prominent passages that talks about this is found in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3 where it says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, so suffered upon the cross, suffered once for sins, um, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went to proclaim to the spirits in prison. Now, a couple things I just want to clarify for us here. When it talks about uh, being made alive in spirit, it's referring to Christ's spirit and drawing a contrast between his, his physical body and his spirit. Uh, so there's a distinction being drawn here between those two things. Because as we know, Christ's body was laid in, died and was laid in a tomb, but it's suggesting here that his spirit was sort of remained alive and free uh, for other purposes. Now, according to this passage, Peter's letting us know that between the death and resurrection, that Jesus went and made special proclamation, or another way to look at that, he, he preached a message to what's referred to here as imprisoned spirits. Now, the natural question that flows from this passage is, well, well who were they and where were they? One of the common things you may have heard in response to this or understand this passage is that, that Jesus descended into hell, that he went to hell to, to preach this message there. And, and part of that also comes through in, in parts of church history, such as the Apostles' Creed, for example, where the Apostles' Creed says, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, and then goes on to say, was crucified died and buried, and he descended to the dead. 
So if you grew up in uh, at some church traditions, you would repeat this even on a weekly basis, uh, this, this statement of faith for, uh, for a lot of the people in the Christian church. But this uh, can actually complicate the answer a little bit as well. See, some versions of the Apostles' Creed, instead of saying he descended to the dead, they'll actually say he descended into hell, which is even more problematic because it's starting to mix up some terms that we need to understand to answer this question. Now, in order to fully understand what's being referred to us here, we have to have a basic understanding of biblical cosmology. And basically that is the kind of the order of the realms and of things. And there's, there's three realms that exist in biblical cosmology. We have, we have the heavens, kind of where God and the angels exist. And then you read some passages that talks about the earth, where people exist, and then they'll talk about Sheol, or, or the under-earth, um, where, where the dead go. So we've got the heavens, the earth, and then Sheol. Now, until the time of Jesus, there really wasn't any discussion about people ascending into heaven. If you read, in, especially in the Old Testament, you read in the Psalms and other places, it's, it's this idea that when you died, you went to Sheol. And literally, Sheol means a place of the dead, or a place for departed souls. Now, we get to the New Testament, the word for this is not Sheol anymore, they use the Greek word Hades. So Sheol and Hades are somewhat interchangeable based upon Old versus New Testament. Now, unfortunately, due to, to TV and movies and, and books, they've given us this idea that Hades is a place equated with hell. It makes us think that hell and Hades are the same, but that's actually a mixing of terms. A more accurate explanation is that Sheol and Hades are the same place, but that is distinct in a different place from hell. Now, where do we see this in Scripture? We get this idea of a distinct place, uh, for example, in Revelation 20, where this time of judgment comes upon. And then in Revelation 20, John writes this. It says, death and Hades, or, or death and Sheol, gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them according to what they had done. And if anyone's name was not found in the book of life, then they were thrown into the lake of fire. So it's positioning uh, Hades and Sheol as this temporary place where the dead await this time of resurrection. And the lake of fire is an apocalyptic metaphor for this idea of, of permanent place for lost souls of, and, and suffering, which is more equated with, with hell. So there's a distinction there between, between Hades and hell um, in, in, in literature that we see here. Therefore... Could Jesus have gone to Sheol? Yes, that, that's a possibility. He could have gone to Sheol, this place of departed souls. But it is not reasonable necessarily to think that he went into hell. Because hell is this, is this permanent place of suffering. It's this place where, where God is prepared um, for, for those who are apart from him to go eternally into this place of suffering. And Jesus, his payment and his suffering was completed upon the cross. As it said back, if we go back to 1 Peter verse 3, it says he suffered and died upon the cross. And his suffering was once and final upon the cross and finished when he said it is finished upon the cross. So this idea that after he died that he descended into hell to this place of suffering wouldn't match with what was accomplished already upon the cross. So two different places that are, that are there based upon uh, biblical cosmology. Now in terms of who did he preach to, and, and what was that message? We have even a little bit less to go on from that. Uh, now, it stands to reason, given what has just taken place in the death of Jesus and his upcoming resurrection, it stands to reason that the declaration that he made during this time would have been victory over sin, death, and victory over Satan. And Paul actually picks up on this, perhaps, in, in Colossians chapter 2, where he says that Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to shame by triumphing over them upon the cross. So at some point, 
in action, but possibly even in word, Paul is suggesting that Jesus uh, proclaimed a message of triumph over those who were, who were departed and that, uh, that we wrestle against. Now, who did he deliver this message to? Uh, a few options have been suggested. A few options exist out there. Um, one of them, based upon Jude, we don't get into the book of Jude very often, but if you look at Jude chapter 1, verse 6, it, it suggests that perhaps Jesus was actually preaching to fallen angels. Because in Jude chapter 1, verse 6, it, it describes this place that the fallen angels descended into, and it's a place that sounds an awful lot like Sheol, where they're being kept in, in a time of holding until a time of judgment comes. So that's one possibility. Uh, another possibility that's probably a little more popular um, is that Jesus was descended into this place of the dead uh, where all of the redeemed saints of old who had previously been justified by faith were waiting for Christ's victory upon the cross. So this theory would suggest that, that people like Abraham and David and Joseph and Daniel, the, the thief upon the cross that Jesus had just talked to, uh, John the Baptist, who had died, that those are the people that he went and proclaimed that message to. And this is somewhat based upon, again, Paul's writings we find in Ephesians 4, verses 8 through 10, where Paul begins by quoting a verse from Psalm 68, and he says this. He says, when Jesus, when he descended on high, he led a host of captives on high, and he gave gifts to men. And then and there's this brackets in verse 9 there where it goes on to kind of clarify what Paul's saying. He goes, here's what I'm saying. In saying that he ascended, what does it mean also that he descended to the lower regions of the earth? And he who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens. So people will look at this. Some scholars looked at this and said, this is, this is Paul saying that Jesus descended to the place of Sheol, ministered, comforted, preached to the saints of old, and then ascended with them at this point, because at that point, he had secured salvation for all people upon the cross, that there is one way, that there is one truth, there is one way to the Father through him, and that would account for, for all people, and so he led these people from this place of Sheol up into paradise. So all that to say, let me pull it all together. <laughs> all that to say this, the Bible isn't exactly clear as to what happened. We can look at some different passages, there's more than the ones I picked up here, we look at some different passages and we can start to piece together what perhaps happened during those three days between Jesus' death and resurrection. And here's what we can surmise from it. We can surmise that there is the sense that he descended into a place, uh, such as he descended into a place like Sheol, where he proclaimed his victory over sin and death to all who were present there, possibly even including the fallen angels, uh, but also that he comforted and departed with the saints of old and brought them into their eternal home. Now, that is what we can surmise, not know for certain, but we can surmise from that. Here's what we can know for certain, though, based upon uh, Christian theology as a whole. We can know for certain that he did not descend into hell to continue suffering, because his suffering was complete. The work of the cross was complete and finished. So this idea of him descending into hell, a place of eternal suffering, does not match our understanding of redemption. We can also know for sure that Jesus did not descend into a place like hell or Sheol to give people a second chance. That comes up sometimes in these theories as well. Uh, we know from Scripture that after death, we all face judgment. That there isn't this sense of a second chance coming up. We all face judgment and then are moved on to our permanent destination. And the final thing we can know for sure is that Jesus' work of redemption was finished on the cross. It was finished upon the cross, and because of his loving sacrifice that we celebrated a week ago at Easter, it is available to all people here now in this life. That is really cool and helpful because honestly, like growing up, 
um, in church, even going to Bible school and getting my degree, um, that's not a question I really fully understood. Um, I've heard that Jesus uh, maybe maybe went to hell and got the keys out of hell. So to know that he didn't is really helpful. And we don't get a second chance. But to know that the redemptive work is finished, um, and that's something that we can hold our trust and uh, find our peace, that's pretty cool. Yeah, so. absolutely. So we make that choice here in this life. And the Bible talks about how God comes to dwell among us and, and to... And to be with us. And as Holy Spirit comes and, and walks with us through life. And now at times we feel very close to the Holy Spirit. We can sense God's presence in our lives and different events. Uh, other times, I think if you're like me, there's some other times you're feeling a little more isolated, a little more alone. And uh, we had a couple of questions that came in this past couple of weeks that referenced this sort of an idea of, of not always feeling like God is that close to us. And, and some of them actually had to do with prayer, how that relates to prayer. And so the next question I want to look at in relation to that is this. Uh, if there's power in prayer, why do I feel like my prayers aren't being answered? That's a good Ryan. question. That's a good question. <laughs> what do you think about that one? So I think we all have a lot of things that come to mind when we think of unanswered prayer. Um, personally, like one that came to my mind when I was 15 years old, I was always a grade um, ahead. So I was 17 when I graduated high school. And one of the big ones for me is when I was in like grade 9 or 10, can't really remember which one, but my voice had not changed yet. So I was like squeaky Ryan around school. So people would like, hey, you have a high voice? And I'd be like, yeah, well. And so I remember going home and like fervently praying to God, being like, God, please, like, please help my voice to change. And it didn't for like another year. Um, and I gave that request to him. I was like, please, like, that's, that's a lighter one. Um, eventually it changed, I hope. Um, but um, another one that came to my mind just came a couple of years ago. Um, and I, uh, growing up, I, I would listen in on my parents' conversations, not like ear to the door listen in, but like I would pick up on things. So I remember hearing my mom, my dad, and my dad kind of would go to doctor's appointments and he would share with us, oh, well, my cholesterol is this or my cholesterol is that. And, and growing up, I always knew my dad always talked about wanting to get into shape. And, and I was just worried about him. My dad and I have a really special relationship where he's my best friend. Um, so I, I care deeply for him. So when I started to pick up on these things of, well, maybe dad's at risk for something like a heart attack or something like that to happen. I got in the habit of, of praying every single night. And, and I'm talking with the kind of prayer where I made it part of my night. I didn't forget. And I would ask with, a, with an expecting heart for God to protect my dad's heart. I would pray even by name of like arteries and veins for just protection for my dad. Um, and I'll never forget the day where I came, I was sleeping upstairs and I came down and my dad was in the middle of a massive heart attack. And for me, that was really difficult. Um, I was angry. And I understood that, you know what, sometimes God has different plans for us. Um, but that was a time of all sincerity and all heart where I poured everything I had and I believed God could do it. And you know what? My dad had a heart attack. And thankfully, my dad's still here today. Um, and there's been a lot of blessings in his life through that and mine. Um, I've come to love him even more, which I didn't think was possible. But that was really difficult for me. Um, why was my prayer not heard? Why was it not answered? And, and in times like these, um, it's a good time to turn to something like we read in Isaiah 55, 8 to 9. And it's, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. See, there's a lot of great men and women of God in Scripture who have, who have prayed with an expecting heart, um, believing God could do that miracle. And you know what God said? You know, I don't really have the same plan as you. And, and our posture towards prayer, I had this conversation with one of the youth last week. When we pray, we, we can, God asks us, bring your request to me. But we can't go there being upset when we don't get our way. And it's all about our posture towards prayer and ultimately trusting, you know what? I 
the end of the day, I'm asking God, but you know better than me. And that's where the trust comes in. It's interesting you bring up that idea of, of a posturing ourselves the right way. Can you, can you talk a bit more about what does it look like to sort of have that proper posture as we approach God in prayer? For sure. So if I were to ask you guys right now, if, if any one of us were to pray, is there a 100% certainty that God would hear your prayer and answer you? Now, the easy answer is yes. And, and I want to make this clear. God will hear you. Uh, there's, there's many scriptures that talk about he knows your thoughts. He knows your mind, which is why when we go to pray to him, we can't fool him. He knows the desires of our heart. He knows our pains. He knows our struggles. But when we hear the word, when, when we talk about God hearing our prayers, think of it like this. If you have someone who just drives you insane and they're sitting beside you, you have the ability 